Welcome to Episode 4, Part 1 of a new version of Ask a Dude, where our panel consists of myself and Ken. Ask a Dude with Ken. Questions from a gay man. This is Sacred Truths with Emmy Graham. And welcome, everyone. This is Emmy Graham with Sacred Truths, and we are back with Ask a Dude. And we have our dude today who is Nick. Hello, Nick. Hello. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. And today for our panel, we have myself, Emmy, and we have an invited guest, Ken. Hi, Ken. Welcome. Hi, Emmy. Hi, Nick. So, Ken, why don't you start us off? Go ahead. All right. Thanks, Emmy. Well, I'll start off by saying, first of all, how much I've appreciated the podcasts of Ask a Dude that I've been listening to. And um, recently, I suppose, in one one of the last podcasts, um, I started thinking about a lot of the research and a lot of the thinking I've done around homophobia, uh, being a gay man myself, since as far back as I can remember, at least, having dealt with a lot of homophobia from others and internalized homophobia, of course, um, coming to process with myself as a as a gay person and where I where I am in the world and what what that identity means to me, I've thought a lot about where it all comes from, you know, and and especially lately with all the polarization that's going on, I often ask myself the question, why do they hate us so much? Um, I ask it over and over. Why is this getting worse? Why is this going on? What is the deal? And um, so I've kind of gone back to my my notes that I carry around with me. And I'm listening to Nick's talk about men and knowing knowing about the Mankind Project myself a little bit and their work, just thinking about how that how how they work together, how they go together, how does misogyny and, and how in all of its many forms, um, how does it impact what we see in, in homophobia and and transphobia and biphobia and all the other phobias. And so I just thought it would be worthy of a discussion. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm really interested in that topic. I love thinking about the connection between misogyny and homophobia. That's something I've thought about myself. But I'd love to hear if you have a, a topic or an observation or kind of a starting point to dive in. I think I do, actually. I Well, in general, I think of homophobia almost like a big wheel with a lot of spokes. So I don't believe that it's caused by or... Uh, exists because of any one thing. I'll put that out right away. I mean, I, obviously, there's socialization and heteronormativity. You know, we get messages from our parents, we get messages from our peers, we get messages from our grandparents, from school, from everything growing up as what's normal and what's what's acceptable. So there's that. But I suppose that's kind of obvious in a way as as one of the reasons that fear of gay people exists, gay and, and lesbian and you know LGBTQ people exists. But what I'm really interested um, is in woundedness, because you've talked a lot about woundedness. And I think one of the things that really has always interested me is the adolescent boy, you know, and or the, the prepubescent boy, whatever age you want to talk about. And I recently saw something on Netflix, I think it is, on TV, whatever, streaming service about this movie coming out called Close. And the director and producer 
is talking about how he's researched over 150 boys from between the ages of nine and 13 about their their best friends and you know what their friends mean to them. And he said his findings were pretty much across the board astonishing in that these relationships are the most important relationships these boys have in their entire lives. And almost like a lover in the, the level of intensity and intimacy, sometimes, sometimes even physical intimacy, but not always, but it's just emotional intimacy that these boys have with their best friends. And then all of a sudden, as they grow up, as we all grow up, something happens to, to make that separate, to make it not happen anymore, to, to, to cause a separation in the relationship which is, of course, what this film is about. Um, incredibly sad. I'm not sure I can even watch it, but um, it causes a great wound. Sometimes it's their peers. Sometimes it's a f- tremendous fear that there's something wrong with this level of intimacy with another boy. Um, and so the boys grow apart. Um, and it happens for so many people. And so I'm wondering in my in my head if that somehow causes some kind of emotional energy that has to be displaced somewhere and you know men may see i'm talking subconscious i'm not even talking about something that's conscious but some kind of displacement of that sadness onto other men they see sharing some kind of physical intimacy somehow not feeling shame about their emotions shame shame about who they are shame about their closeness i don't know i'm just thinking about it i wonder about it yeah that's a fantastic question or observation. And I actually just hearing this conversation start, I think that I, from my observations and my experiences, I really feel like misogyny and homophobia really do have a single common origin. I really do. So what I experienced and what I still observe around, this is not all men, but this is, you know, the really common thing that I see is a, a hyper-masculine standard. And that standard for me started getting enforced when I was pretty young. And this is really in school, not at home. This is at school, you know, maybe eight or seven, like, or even earlier than that, where there were some, there was a very clear masculine standard that was really rigid. And the alpha boys were enforcing that standard almost constantly. Growing up, I was under observation almost constantly. And every little thing I did got pointed out as being whatever. There's some words I can't say. (laughs) I have a hard time saying the words. Very derogatory words being used to enforce that standard on my behavior. And there were words and abuse and harm and also violence. I mean, this was a a hyper-masculine standard that was enforced with violence. And so when I tune into this, you know, this is not controlling me as an adult, but I can still feel it inside of me. And yeah, it's trauma. I mean, that was consistent, persistent abuse, my entire upbringing. 
to conform to a hypermasculine standard. And so it's this giant well of trauma. And I think that that is the engine of misogyny and homophobia. That pain is just there. And so any sense, any slight deviation from that into the feminine or away from the hypermasculine, anything caused an immediate attack, either verbal or physical, sometimes serious, like people really getting beat up bad or, you know, killed some, you know, really serious violence to enforce that standard. And so everyone is carrying, or a lot of people are carrying this, this well of trauma. And so when they see anyone, certainly it is the othering that you mentioned, like it's just different. So different is bad, but beneath that is this pain. And so when they see anything that was stomped out of them, so with violence and trauma, it provokes that reaction. And that reaction can become really venomous. You know, that is expressed as hate, really intense hate that's driven by that pain. So I don't, that's certainly not an excuse at all for bad behavior or violence or anything. That's not in no way, but I think that is the engine of both of those things, homophobia and, and misogyny. So that's, and that's been my observations and that's what I feel inside of me. Well, and I think both of those things go together. I agree with you. As a football player growing up, I've definitely experienced the hyper-masculine environment, and I see it still today. I, I work with kids now in an after-school program, and I see a lot of that still being still carrying on. And of the boys that don't fit the mold, either I don't see them being bashed, but I do see them being excluded and isolated and finding their own. Um, one boy just yesterday, in fact, said he doesn't tend to play with boys because they're just too aggressive. And um, this is definitely a soft boy. He's, you know, he's frail and he's, you know, I see his future, I think. <laughs> and he's extremely isolated and sad um, as a result of being isolated. So I don't know, but I think what you're talking about and what I've talked about with the woundedness of best friends or, or the male bonding don't exclude each other. I think that they're part of the same wound. I've also witnessed in a lot of, a lot of other places besides our country, in places where women Women's rights are uh, suppressed in big, giant ways. Like some Middle Eastern countries and other countries I've had the privilege of working in, the greater level of oppression for the women, you know, there's a higher level of homophobia. It just goes, tags right along with it. So that's, that's almost proof positive right there, all the way extending to fear of execution, fear of, of violence for the men, and, you know, the same for the women. So that really points to it for me. It's like evidence. And I, you know, I worry for our country because I see this nostalgic return to even more hyper-masculinity happening. I'm not sure what it's, what it's tied to, but you see it everywhere. You see these gangs of men or these groups of men who return to the brotherhood. I mean, there's this, you know, bros before hoes kind of mentality. And I, I don't know whether it's because of a feeling, a lack of empowerment, feeling of, um, not being heard, the religious impact. By that, I mean, you know, organized religion, um, just conservatism, you know, have a family, build a family, the more kids, the better, whatever it is. I see among that mentality, 
a definite return to this sort of backslapping, yeah, dude, um, hey, dude, kind of thing. And definitely, you know, look at the levels of gay bashing that are going on and the levels of the issues with civil rights. It's just, I'm kind of babbling now, but I, <laughs> I just, I think of all of it and I don't quite know what, what words to give it. So my thoughts on that, and, and we talked about this in the, when we were talking about misogyny in one of the other episodes, is that the whole system is a system of power. And it is a social order that has layers to it. There's a hierarchy within that. Not that all hierarchies are bad, but this is a certain type of hierarchy. And the people at the top are benefiting. They are benefiting directly from the, this social structure. And that social structure is maintained with violence. And that is just how it works. And so misogyny is the enforcement arm of that social structure. I don't think of it as hatred of women. That's not what's going on there. And this is something that Kate Mann really articulated well in her book, Down Girl, where she described this as a, a specific social system and that misogyny has a specific social purpose for maintaining a social order through violence. Mm. And I think the same thing is true for homophobia. This is not hatred of, of a group of people. This is a, a social structure that's being maintained with violence in all forms for the social purpose of benefiting the people at the top. And so th that's why I think this is ramping up right now because the demographics are shifting. Things are becoming more acceptable. You know, traditionally what we traditionally called white people are inching towards not being the majority. And I don't think that's lost on anybody either consciously or unconsciously they are well aware of that clock ticking and i think that the more cynical people are consciously aware of that and fanning the flames of this stuff for a specific cynical political purpose i really believe that and then i think a lot of people are just unconscious just whatever going along with the crowd whatever getting caught up expressing their pain through some other channel, whatever. But I think that that's why this is ramping up so much because the, the flow of rewards, social rewards that has been going to that top tier is being threatened. That's what I think. And I think that there's a sense that if that power balance shifts and that group is no longer dominant, they will be destroyed. Because that's just that collective mindset is all about power. And if you aren't at the top, you're you're dead. So I think that's why this is ramping up and why there's you could feel, you can feel that sense of desperation starting to build and that lashing out and all that. I just don't want to lose that original question. And I want to return to the original question that you mentioned, Ken, about the movie Close. I find that intriguing 
because as a young girl, friendships between girls are so important. They're crucial. It is a love. I would say it is a love affair. Is it, it is an emotional love affair. It's, an, it's a love of the heart. I'm speaking for myself, but I think many girls feel this way. That best friend is crucial or a few very, very close friends. And they can, we're allowed to have them in elementary school. We're not harassed. They very often continue into our teen years and maybe even adult life. So I'd be curious to know, Nick, how was that for you when you were a young boy how was it with your best friends? How did it change as you grew older? And how do you feel about that? Fantastic. I'm glad you returned to that question. So my experience, I had a really close friend and close friends in junior high and high school. And I was able to keep those friendships. Those friendships stayed healthy and close through high school and to today, really. And I personally feel so lucky that I had that experience. However, I watched what you're describing happen. And it happened, what I saw it start to happen was in middle school or what we called junior high back then. And there was a shift right around puberty. That was when that hypermasculine standard shifted into another gear. It went into a whole, it, it morphed into something more elaborate. And that's when the comments started happening about close male friends. And it became just, I wouldn't say unacceptable because I got through it, and I wasn't really on the radar. I was pretty good at staying off the radar. And so I got through it and my friends got through it. But in the general environment, I started seeing those friendships get sanctioned. And there was just no way that you were going to go have a meal with your male friend. Two males were going to go just have some food together and talk things over. Nope. Go for a drive together. Nope. You could go do something, you know, do a sport. Sure. You know, or go off and do play golf or I don't know what, but there were a, a whole bunch of close friend activities that stopped being okay. Right. In that middle school, junior high phase. And I saw that happen and yeah, that would definitely, it's like a betrayal. You know, it's really, really, really difficult. And painful and yes, deeply wounding to have a friendship like that, because usually it was one or the other person suddenly pulls away. There's a comment or something and they feel socially vulnerable or it, it doesn't happen simultaneously. Uh, it's just suddenly something happens to one or both one of the people and they pull away and, and just, it's just gone. It's just over and they can't even have a conversation about it. Yeah, I saw that happen and it was really wounding. So that is a, that's a really important part of this, this whole system and how it, how it evolves in the, the teen, early teen years. Wow. You said so much that <laughs> Woo, uh, 
everything that you were talking about about um, society and the power, the power brokers, and all of that. I had so many thoughts while you were sharing that, and now now new thoughts about about relationships among us when we are young, and um, exactly um, the fact that it's not simultaneous. It's normally one one boy feeling so vulnerable and targeted that they have to pull away. And the other one is often left just, as you said, feeling betrayed, feeling sad, feeling alone, not knowing what, what went wrong, what happened. Yesterday we were having sleepovers or we were hanging out and now today we can't. And it's, it's such, a, such a deep sadness that I can't help to think no matter what impacts it has on the environment that it's still men are carrying, many men are carrying that around. And it's having some kind of impact. I, as a gay man, feel it. I absolutely feel it. And I don't know what I can do about it. I can't change it. So we're just kind of left hanging, like kind of like, what did I do that's so wrong? <laughs> so I end up feeling the sadness too, in a weird way. It's like, I'm sad for people who lost their best friend. It happened with me in a weirder, different way, but it still happens. You know, when you're a, when you're a gay man, and you have a best friend and you break up with your straight friend, it's often very different because often you're feeling an unrequited love from that person. And so you don't, you don't, you as a gay man, gay kid don't know what to do with it. So it's a different dynamic, but there's still woundedness. There's, there's still a wound. This is Sacred Truths with Emmy Graham with music by Lemon Music Studio from Pixabay. And with special thanks to our dude, Nick Ordson. This concludes Episode 4, Part 1 of Ask a Dude with Ken, Questions from a Gay Man. Please join us for Part 2. Please visit our website at sacred-truths.com. Thank you for listening.